Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. And I want to be really clear right off the bat. I am not a Shakespeare scholar. I don't honestly know shit about Shakespeare. I just really freaking love Shakespeare. But guys, you can't see she's wearing a scarf in a really debonair yes. way and black rim glasses <laughs> and is smoking a cigarette. So I'm concerned that maybe there may she's be lying. Everyone's got to think. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Fanatics. I'm Claire Kramer, and I am sitting here with my beautiful co-host, David Magadoff. Hi, yes. David. Hi, Claire. How art thou? I'm not even going to attempt a response. <laughs> I'm trying know, to speak a little you know, Shakespearean, for that I, is our topic today. I know my limits, David. <laughs> I'm doing great. That's the that's the Claire version, the Shakespearean version. I'm not sure. But yes, we have Kim Rhodes, my fabulous, fabulous, wonderful, beautiful friend who you guys probably know from Supernatural. Of course, she was in Colony, which was a great show. And the mom on Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Who can forget that Sweet Life? Uh, the, the best haircut in the world. That hair she had, I'm sorry, was oh, like it was. You know, you want to talk about on fire. hair for a second. Kim yes. reinvented herself after Sweet Life and after Supernatural. She, I think it was 2019, or maybe I think it was 2019. I'll have to look it up. She starred in this amazing Super Bowl commercial, which required her to shave her head because she was portraying a cancer patient. And she was, you know, this commercial like brought everyone to tears during the Super Bowl. And she sort of got re-famous from that. And everyone's like, we love Kim Rhodes. What happened to Kim? Here she is. She's an amazing actor. Like this pharmaceutical commercial, now I'm crying at it. And of course, Kim was crying. <laughs> like the, in the mom commercial. from Sweet Life? Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it, she's just such a versatile, amazing actress and an amazing human. I love her so much. And she loves the bard. And she loves that so so much. So let's just get right into this thing. Here we go. What would you ask Shakespeare if he just showed up in your house today? Oh my gosh. What do you want to drink? Because you're going to be here for a while. <laughs> and what would the second question be? I'd be like, who did you hate the most? 
<laughs> in his plays or in his life? In his life. Because, because Shakespeare was working on behalf of the power structure, right? So I'd be like, they're all dead now. What did you really think of Elizabeth? What did you really think of Henry? Come on, the Tudors. What the fuck? And I'd I'd want him to I'd want him to give me the dish. How much of it was really writing things, especially in the histories? How much of it was writing things that he really agreed with? And how much of it was like, I got to get paid, yo, and I'd like to keep my head on my shoulders, yo. Very Andy Cohen of you, just sitting down with him and be like What's the dish? Okay, so I want to get back to that in a minute. But for for <laughs> anyone out there who who is like, what exactly is Shakespeare? What exact? Who was he? Ooh, that's its own podcast episode, I'm sure. Right. But yeah. you know, what did he write? How would you define like Shakespeare and his works? And what would you say if someone said, "Who is? What is Shakespeare?" Well, I, I would I would talk about a lot of problems I have with with the way Shakespeare is perceived. I'd I'd basically Mm. go into who Shakespeare is not. I really wish I was, I was thinking about this this morning. I wish Shakespeare was taught in music class instead of in English class. Oh, that's my cat climbing up the wall. I'm thrilled. I'm such a cat person. And that cat did such a good job. Jack will be making an appearance today. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Jack. uh, I, I wish Shakespeare were taught in music class because Shakespeare and I don't know if Shakespeare is the only writer who was ever able to do this, or if Shakespeare was one of many, just for some reason, the others have been lost in obscurity. But my, like for me, it gets it gets very deep. It gets very deep really fast. So go with me here. <laughs> okay. Like the first thing that happens when life is created is there is an impulse. There's an electrical impulse. And the impulse gradually shapes into a rhythm, which for me, as far as I know, was my heartbeat. So there's impulse and rhythm. And that's all Shakespeare is, is impulse and rhythm. It is movement. It is expression. If the if the impulse is intellectual, then the expression is uh, vowels. If the impulse is emotional, or no, it's the other way around. If the impulse is intellectual, then it's consonants. If it's emotional, then it's open vowels. How does air move through a body that's riding emotions? And it's so, like, it's every, it's life. And it's taught so sterilely. It's mm-hmm. taught with so much should and shouldn't. And I'm like, that's not, that's, that's not what it was. That's not why it still exists. It doesn't still exist because people enjoy thinking about the word privy. It exists because it's primal. And I think we continue to do it in spite of the crap that we put on top of it because it still resonates with humans at a primal level because it's impulse and rhythm. Would you say there is a difference? And by the way, I could not agree with you more about teaching Shakespeare in a music class. I think that's absolutely the key. Uh, But would you say there's a difference in cadence between the sonnets and the plays? Mm, That is a really awesome question that an educated person would know. And I do not because I am. And I want to be really clear right off the bat. 
I am not a Shakespeare scholar. I don't honestly know shit about Shakespeare. I just really freaking love Shakespeare. But guys, you can't see she's wearing a scarf in a really debonair yes. way and black rim glasses <laughs> and is smoking a cigarette. So I'm concerned that maybe there she's may be lying. <laughs> but I am not familiar with the sonnets. I know that Patrick Stewart has a TikTok where the sonnets are read. I know that oh. I did. Oh, yeah. If you aren't familiar with that, go find Patrick cool. Stewart reading the sonnets. Make it he, so. That was one good thing that came out of quarantine. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was Patrick Stewart and the sonnets. Oh. <laughs> like the one so, good thing. I imagine, maybe that would be a question I would ask Shakespeare if he were sitting down. It's be like, why? Because sonnets are written, were written more for him, I imagine. They weren't written to be performed on stage and and amuse the throngs. It They were written to communicate something more intimate, possibly in a more personal way way. So I would imagine the cadence is different because it's Shakespeare and not a creation of Shakespeare. Just the same way that if I put on a mask, either as an actor or in a social situation, I am communicating with a very specific intention, as opposed to when I talk to my kitty up close to his face and I have things I say to him. It's going to be different because I'm going to be using a different voice because it's coming from a different part of me. Kim, so speaking of specific, yes. would you say that you just, I love Shakespeare or I, what is it that you love? Is it the man? Is it mm. the plays? Is it the film adaptations? No, I could not give two shits about the man. I don't know anything about it. I think it's really cool that the person or people or I don't, I don't care who Shakespeare was. I don't care about the historical adapt. I'm sorry, but I don't. The only film adaptations that I care about are ones that I either care passionately for or passionately against. What I care about has been my personal experience with Shakespeare, both in teaching it and in performing it. And it's always been, that was my cat again, sorry. Uh, elevating. I hate that word. It sounds so bougie, but it's been transcending. You want people, you want people to know him the way you know him or know it, his, his, his art, the way I you know would it. like people to have the experience. If they don't experience Shakespeare the same way I do, I don't care. But I wish everybody knew the joy, especially performers. That's why I think, again, it's back to music. The feeling of getting on a ride, being the instrument of the ride, and yet still going for the ride and coming off the other side and being like, whew, that was fun. That was amazing. I got to feel all the feels. I got to see all the sights. I got to do all the things. I am in a different place than when I started. And yet it came out of me. And it wouldn't have if it weren't Shakespeare. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So tell me the first time that you, because I know exactly what you mean about transcending. For me, it's a yoga practice. Like if I'm really in the moment and I'm really dialed in and I go through that hour, hour and a half, I literally feel like I could cry in the yoga practice. I could whatever. So with with Shakespeare, when was the first time that you connected to that rhythm and impulse in a way that you were emotionally affected? Because I imagine it didn't happen right away. Nope. Nope. I'm glad you imagined that because I was trying to figure out how to confess that it didn't happen right away. It happened uh, after I came out of graduate school where I had been given a lot of intellectual experience with Shakespeare. And I had. Do you want the long version or the short version? I feel like we I feel the long version coming on. We want the long version. OK, so. um <laughs> Always, so, Kim. Always. Uh, uh, I, 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 one of the things you do when you, I have a master's degree in acting, and one of the kind of rites of passage is you audition for regional Shakespeare festivals because they're always up for hiring young people to do the smaller roles. You're generally not in the union, and um, I ended up being hired at American Players Theater, which is, I believe, it's still the like the third largest Shakespeare festival in the country. It's in a tiny little town in Wisconsin, Spring Green. And I knew one of the shows they were doing was Romeo and Juliet. And I was very eye-rolly about Juliet. Very, oh, 14 years old, they kill each other. What a stupid <laughs> But I guess since I'm the ingenue type, that's what they're looking at me for. And I got into the audition and David Frank said, uh, Juliet's already cast. Like it was like he was apologizing. It was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Who needs her? I know. Like, balconies are stupid. Balconies are so stupid. (laughs) Um, and it turns out I'm really grateful that I wasn't cast in that Romeo and Juliet because it means I got to see it 14 times. Ah. I mean, I'm I'm literally tearing up right now thinking about this performance. It was directed by a man who is now passed named Ken Albers. Who I later got to work with doing Shakespeare. Kate Davis played Juliet and Jimmy DeVita played Romeo. And that made me realize what Shakespeare was for. That made me realize what happens when you use the story to ride as opposed to using yourself to impose. Mm, I love that. Define that. Unpack that. Well, there's a lot of people that feel like everything that could be done with Shakespeare is already done. So we need to do something different. Let's let's make it a wacky 
uh, after the apocalypse in the Thunderdome. No, I so saw the we- Midsummer Night's Dream on roller skates. So I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. familiar with what you're saying. So now I wanted to try something out, Claire. That. <laughs> Let me do be the, me. Oh, <laughs> Puck, you do go like an arrow. <laughs> but, uh, and if the story supports it, that's the other thing, is that Shakespeare is so universal that there's a lot of things the story will support. But imposing something because you feel like it's all been done, guess what? It hasn't been done. Because if you haven't done it, you have a unique thing to contribute to like how many times has Viola been played? And yet I don't need to do something to Viola. I am just a different Viola because my heart is different and because my perspective is different. So ride the frickin' words. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I mean by riding them as opposed to imposing on them. Mm-hmm. So I was in, I did end up getting to play Viola. So those two experiences at American Players blossomed into passion. So would you say Twelfth Night was like the moment when you were playing her, when you, after observing Romeo and Juliet, where you were able to connect with that freedom? Because it's really about freedom of your emotions and your mind as an actor, right? It is faith. It is freedom. It's also courage. I'm realizing now that my timeline got a little screwed up. Because actually, the thing that, like, APT broke me open, but the chisel and the hammer that cracked into my awareness was teaching at a theater in Philadelphia before I went to APT. Mm -hmm. And um, it was Freedom Theater, which is a black theater. And I was teaching a famous dead, really super white guy. And I was the only uh, white person in my segment of teaching. We had a couple other white teachers, but it was committed to really reinforcing and strengthening black experience and black voices in the theater. And here I am teaching fucking Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) And... When you give someone who has been told by society, when you give someone something that has been told by society, they aren't allowed to have it because they can't understand it and because they are inherently no good at it. And yet their fundamental makeup deserves it more than society's. When you have a child who understands rhythm and impulse better than the fucking smart white people that are gatekeeping this, and when you give it to them and you say run, you get a hotspur that knows how hotspur should be said. Mm. You get you get a Beatrice that understands the power of Beatrice. It changed me completely. Watching these kids take a hold of it and make it theirs. And I just, I was like, you go, 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 just go, just go, just go, do it. 
So that broke me open. And then getting to fly with it in Wisconsin was really where that where my own freedom came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All great origin stories begin in Wisconsin. <laughs> you're not wrong. Cheese, cheese makes you. Cheese makes you whatever you're supposed to be. Kim, no, this is this is this is beautiful. Your passion for this is very special. How often do you think you engage with Shakespeare on some level, whether it being reading a sonnet or doing a play or watching something on YouTube on like a weekly or monthly basis? Funny story. <laughs> Almost never. <laughs> and yet all the time. Mm. Because so okay, so 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 I'm gonna get into a little bit of the semantics. The, the, the things where you just go, ugh, and yet what makes it so perfect. So, iambic pentameter. So, there's 10 syllables. Five. That's just the basic rhythm. That's actually the basic rhythm of how we talk, of how we talk. It's the basic rhythm. And iambic, so for those who don't know, iambic pentameter is, is did, did Shakespeare create iambic pentameter nope. as we know it? Okay, no. I don't think so. I think it was the it was the form in which he wrote his elevated. He also wrote in prose for different characters. That's we don't need to. I don't need to teach an entire um, <laughs> theory of Shakespeare. But so within that, there are five beats, and my job is to figure out which one is the most important, down to five, which is the least important. So I do that by looking at the rhythm, by looking at the meaning of the sentence. Where do we da, da Where where does my impulse where in the writing is my impulse aimed so there's the rhythm and the impulse and how am i flowing that i use all the time i Mm. get commercial copy that i'm supposed to audition for in a voiceover and i look through it and i go what's the rhythm where's the impulse where am i headed where do I stop? Where do I stop because I'm done? Where do I stop because I'm taking a breath to move further? It's like where I use it everywhere. Cool. So, and and I'm aware that I'm using it everywhere. My husband will come to me and be like, can you help me? Can you help me scan this out? And I'm like, where's the... But it's it's... It's all based on how I learned to do Shakespeare. So we all know, and we've probably worked with those actors that are like very, I, I, I want to put this the right way, very um, prepared, very scholarly, know their lines. I'm not talking about Shakespeare, just anything, right? Yes. But they are closed off emotionally and they are closed off physically from their bodies. Can you can you get in touch with this if you are closed? You can't. You can't perform Shakespeare effectively if you're closed off from your body. It's the it's the concert of body and mind and mouth, right? I am at the ripe age of 52 with the amount of mistakes I've made in my life, hesitant to tell anyone that they can't do something. I just know that it's my way of getting there. And you and I, Claire, are so similar Mm -hmm. in where we find our impulses. Like, I think that's what it is. Like, where are my impulses based? And mine are based in my crotch, my stomach, and my heart. That's Mm -hmm. where all of my things, they come up. My head's impulses tend to be like, shut up, shut up, shut up, and press those down (laughs) because my head is home of fear. 
not everybody is wired like me. There may be people whose best impulses come from sparkles in their brains and then are shaped through cerebral intention. It doesn't, because like ultimately, who says whether or not a performance is effective? The audience. So it's not up to the audience to be like, I see how your cerebral interpretation has thwarted my understanding of your... But does the audience decide that a performance is effective or does the actor? Because if the actor's not feeling anything, is it an effective performance? I think it's absolutely not. I I think for me, it's not up to me to say if I'm effective or not. If the audience receives something from my work, then I have been of service. Mm -hmm. I know as an audience member that I tend to connect less with purely with what I assume are purely cerebral choices. But, and I think, and I think we limit ourselves. Let me just, let me back up. I think most of us who limit ourselves physically, it's out of fear. And the second I start making a choice out of fear, I cut myself off from 99% of the way I could communicate with the audience. So Fear-based Shakespeare probably is not going to be as effective as joy-based, passion-based, impulse-based. Because fear impulse says retreat. And if you're trying to go forward to reach an audience, you're not gonna. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but no, I think the audience gets to decide if I've been effective or not. That's not my job. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, Kim, here we go. Yes. I'm going to say okay. some things and you're going to give me, you're going to give me, I don't know how you're going to do it because you're kind of closed off, but I want you to give me a guttural opinion on each one. <laughs> okay, I am try super, it. super hard to read and uh, not impulsive <laughs> at all. So let's we'll try. Okay. <laughs> a Midsummer Night's Dream. Fairies. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Do I get to expound on it? Yeah. Or do you want go, just you know, one yeah. Word? Just like, like, you know, a couple sentences. Like, how do you, like, when you hear this, do you go, I, uh, yeah. No, I got to do Midsummer Night's Dream at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is kind of the American, like, that's Stratford. That's yeah. it. That's, and directed by Kenneth Albers, who directed that. Ashland, um, right? That, yes, in Ashland, Oregon. And Kenneth Albers is the one who directed that, that Romeo and Juliet that just also, yes, tore me apart. And it was magic. It was magic. I got to play Helena and it was, uh, it was magic. It was magic. The play that cannot be named. The play that cannot be named. (laughs) But you're not in the theater. (laughs) Yes. I think 
so much is made of the magic in that show, we forget that the story is someone driving themselves into their own hell. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to direct it someday. Mm. Othello. I want to play Iago. Before I die, I want to play Iago. I think Iago is... So much is made about Iago being nice and kind and the one everybody talks to, but Iago never gets promoted. And Iago has fucking snapped. <laughs> I think it would make absolute sense for Iago to be a woman. There's a reason Iago is never promoted. Everyone loves Iago. They get, and finally Iago is like, fuck this shit. I hope it happens. <laughs> I'm burning it all. Uh, as a Jew, the merchant of Venice. Mm. Like problematic is problematic. When we look at something with a contemporary perspective, we can't ignore the fact that our eyesight has changed. So I don't know how to fix the problems, but I think we do Shakespeare a disservice when we pretend there are no problems. Richard III. Fucking yes. I think that show needs more sex that we see. It's always like about the fighting. I think we should see the fucking. That is a sexy fucking show. It needs to like merge, like have somebody who directed like one of the Spartacus episodes come in and oh direct that. Oh my God. And fucks him on the <laughs> coffin of her husband. That's how this shit works. It or is Game of Thrones. Dark. Yes. <laughs> well, we can, it is. Yes. Yes. Put a dragon in it. As you like it. All right, so here's for a Shakespeare lover. I now get, as you like it, and not measure for measure. Measure for measure is oof, dark. As you like it, meaning it is not as I like it. And what are the other ones I get? Love's labor. I get as you like it and love's labor's mixed up all the time. So as you like it, I would have to go to my Riverside and look up which one it is. Where they get lost in the forest and everybody pretends they're boys but in love with each other. Yes. Uh, one of our producers is, is throwing this out there. Titus Andronicus. Ah, violence. <laughs> that, that's where they cut her tongue off. I've never seen Titus Andronicus. That's a, that is a, I don't really, that's, that's one I'd like to ask Shakespeare about. Be like, who were, who were you mad at that day? <laughs> wow. The, what the was Leo, the Leo and Claire Danes, Romeo and Juliet. I never saw it. I really liked the soundtrack. I was a big fan of, yes, the soundtrack, the garbage. I would die for you. I loved that. But it's a good soundtrack. That said, do you want to see it? Or is it going to taint all of your amazing memories of Romeo and Juliet? Nah, I just, I don't have a lot of time. At the time, it was so lauded for being a movie about young love and I was like that's not the point the point is it's young people having an ancient love <laughs> I feel like I'd be disappointed I don't want to commit to something that I know I would it's like it's like sitting down for a meal of your favorite 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 food but you know the chef has never prepared it before and hates the cuisine so I was mm -hmm. like but I don't know if I trust you with this. Maybe I'll just order a salad. <laughs> okay. I I got to ask, because you played them both, Viola 
or Helena? Ooh. Well, or which did you learn more as an actor from playing? You don't necessarily have to choose. You know, oh, both I, amazing okay. characters. So, so Viola is a pants role. Viola shows up on a shipwreck. She's just been shipwrecked. Uh, they're like, your twin brother's dead. You're all by yourself in a country you don't know. And she's like, what the fuck am I going to do? I guess I'm going to disguise myself as a boy and go work for this dude over here. So at least I get three squares. This dude over here happens to be in love with that chick over there, makes Viola be the emissary for this dude to that chick. That chick falls in love with Viola, thinking she's a boy, and Viola's like, oh, now we're in trouble because Viola has fallen in love with that dude over there. Mayhem ensues. It's a very gentle, poetic, beautiful play. And this was the play where I had to learn to write it because I can't come over the top and be better than Shakespeare. So I just have to trust if I know what I'm saying, if I know what my impulse is, then I would make me a willow cabin at that gate. I mean, it's actually the perfect play to lock into that. It's a starter Shakespeare play Yes, that's good to lock into that cadence. And if you don't know the play, it's Twelfth Night, which we've mentioned before. And of course, Helena is from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Let's talk about Helena for a sec. That is a problematic play Mm -hmm. because the humor comes from bullying and violence. (laughs) That's why they put it on roller skates. They wanted it. It is a problematic play. And I remember when I played it with the whole, I will be your spaniel. I mean, she, Helena actually says, I am your spaniel. And the more you beat me, I will fawn on you. She is not an aspirational character at the beginning of this. And when we did it, we went for that. At one point, I was on the ground clambering at him and he did a full boot to the face, like nap. And the audience was like, oh, And what I learned is that you can control an audience, not with what happens, but how you react to what happens. Because when I spring up and I'm like, love me, everybody's like, oh, we're safe Mm -hmm. because she's safe. So we have to create a reality where Helena is safe in spite of what's happening to her. So if I, as Helena truly am reacting to what's happening to me, but also clearly playing a character who is not damaged by what is happening to me, I give the audience freedom to To enjoy enjoy. the humor. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of response. That's, you know, like I was saying earlier, we need to address that it's problematic, but we also need to play the play. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Kim, I, I, uh, I always like to get into this, and I we're, you're getting into it. So I'm just trying to figure it out with you, and like I think we can figure this out quick. Just it's not figure that Shakespeare you, out. yeah. Let's we just figure it. out Shakespeare we real it. fast. We're gonna fix it. I feel like the reason and your why is that I'm like why Shakespeare? Because it's always fun to know for me why people love the thing that they love on this show, and you, you you're not coming you're not coming out and saying here's my 20 favorite plays or here's like the 13 sonnets that I love or I love that film or what you're saying, tell me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is the way he wrote got you, touched your heart in such a way to be like, oh, this is how my heart talks. Yes. (laughs) 
Yes. Thank you for writing down the way I've always felt inside. Yes, that right. is it. That is, you have figured out, we maybe didn't figure out Shakespeare, but we figured out Shakespeare for me. Yes, and that's mm-hmm. why is we're that, here. Yes. It, is, it is a unique experience that I personally have had that transformed and shaped me and my little artist heart. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yay. Yeah. Um, am I allowed? I realize that I, whenever Shakespeare comes up, I, I, I can I can I talk about one of my biggest pet peeves in Shakespeare? Yes, please. I have two, but I'm going to start with my biggest pet peeve because I would be I would hate myself if I didn't address this. Wherefore does not mean where. Juliet does not know that Romeo is spying on her in the garden. She is not standing on her balcony and being like, Romeo, where are you? (laughs) Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Means why, why (laughs) are you that guy? Out of all the names in the world, why are you the one name of my enemy? All of my life, I was raised to hate Montague. And you're a fucking Montague. Why are you Romeo? So, um, so I just want I just want to get that out there because so so often it's like, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? <laughs> and then they go into this deny thy father and refuse thy name. And I'm like, but that it doesn't make any sense if you don't just, if you don't set it up the correct way. Yes. 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 Is it harder to act, not for you, but in in general, do you think it's harder to direct Shakespeare or to act in Shakespeare mm. based on that conversation? Because we've all seen a lot of misinterpretations from both perspectives. The, obviously, if the actor does that, the director needs to correct them. I would, I have not directed full-length Shakespeare. I would like to direct full-length Shakespeare. I would like to... Because so often, I think stage plays, especially grand pageantry plays, become big. And so we're looking at the overall. I would like to direct Romeo and Juliet, for instance, and just have a little conversation with Juliet's mom and be like, hey, by the way, Tybalt's her dad. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then go to Capulet and be like, hey, by the way, she was pregnant when you married. like oh by the way like and that suddenly because because i think and that's what my friend who directed it did it so exquisitely is that a big pageant is made up of tiny individual lives so that said i think it's probably harder to direct because you as a director have to have a complete tiny individual life for standard bearer number two Mm-hmm. Whereas as an actor, I just need to have a complete individual life for me. I agree. Kim, we love you. That's it. I love it. Um, Thank you. Uh, I love how much you love Shakespeare. It is beyond. It's inspiring. Can you please uh, take us out with a love letter to the bard? And, and you please begin, you know, dear Shakespeare and speak your thoughts. Or maybe dear Shakespeare plays. I like I like dear Shakespeare. Thank you for refusing to die. Because in doing so, 
you have given me a part of my life that makes my own life worth living. Thank you for being. Thank you for your voice. I can come past any time. That's all I got. Love, Kim. Love, Kim. Love me. <laughs> love, love. I love you. I love you. This was a great episode. Thank Yay. you so much. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. You were amazing. Parting is such Yay. sweet sorrow. Oh, oh David. Just say <laughs> goodbye to Lip Morrow. Claire, have you ever seen Shakespeare in England? I don't think I have, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've I've spent so much time in the UK and seen so many things on the West End, but I'm not sh- I don't think I have actually seen a Shakespeare play there. It's very special and Kim's conversation just kept bringing me back to these times because her emotional-hearted connection to this wonderful thing that is Shakespeare uh, and his wonderful plays just made me think about all my wonderful times where I was like, oh my gosh. And there was, if you meet a British person, typically, what I've discovered, they like <laughs> the sound. This is going to be a large generalization, I have a feeling, but yes, This is a ahead. huge generalization, <laughs> yes, please. All the asterisks in the world. When I was studying in London, they all would be like, we love how Shakespeare sounds in an American voice and tone and tenor. And it's funny because we all think we sound like a bunch of hillbillies doing Shakespeare. And we're like, I I love hearing how Shakespeare is in a British voice, like a Sir Patrick Stewart and such. Uh, and so it's, it's very interesting that alone. But I loved going to see the royal you know, Shakespeare plays out there. I saw Julius Caesar, you know, in England. Who's the best Hamlet that you have seen? Is it been in one of the films or has it been in a production? I don't think I ever saw. No, I, oh, you're catching. I'm externally processing this. I don't know if I've ever (laughs) seen Hamlet. You're going through every emotion possible. I was like, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Mm, (laughs) I cannot deny nor confirm if I've ever seen Hamlet beyond clips and pieces. I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen it live. I might have. How about you, Claire? <laughs> Wait, you must have seen some version of Hamlet. You picked in the one entirety. that I'm not sure of. I've seen the Winter's Tale and the Round with the hawk flying by. Have you by. seen the Mel Gibson version of Hamlet? No, I didn't. It's a clueless joke where she's driving with oh. um, her brother, and you know, go watch that scene anyway. I don't need to reenact, you know, Alicia Silverstone and. What's his name? Ant-Man. <laughs> it is Ant-Man. It's officially Ant-Man. He's changed. Paul Rudd changed it to Ant-Man. I saw Midsummer Night's Dream in uh, Stratford-upon-Avon, which is where okay, apparently yes. Shakespeare is from. It's been so long. Is that where Stratford-upon-Avon? Stratford, yes, Stratford-upon-Avon is where he's from. Um, yes, we, and I'm I not saw sure if you there, mean Shakespeare or Sir Francis Bacon. Another mm-hmm. debate that's very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you have a perspective there? I'm, you know, it was a long time ago, wasn't around, wasn't alive. Let's just assume it's Shakespeare. I think people like a good conspiracy theory and a good uh, skepticism. But I think Shakespeare was Shakespeare was Shakespeare. I think someone would have figured it out by now. And if it's all just rumors and thoughts, I'm going to say I think people just... 
Well, isn't it like the Bible? I mean, shouldn't we have figured that out too? <laughs> if you want to use that philosophy. That was a really long time ago, though. <laughs> I feel like Shakespeare, there is enough, there is enough documented stuff where Bible, I'm with you. That's, oh, let's not even to be or not to be. Uh, I would say, I, would, I think Shakespeare is Shakespeare. For me. Well, what I think is really weird is that his wife was Anne Hathaway and she's still around like acting. <laughs> <laughs> Just kicking it, kicking it on the screen. Um, in all seriousness, what a great episode. I love Kim and her passion for Shakespeare. And it makes me as an artist, you know, I've been feeling like in a different phase of my life lately. Like I really love podcasting, acting. I still love, but I'm not like jumping at every project that comes around anymore, you know, like I did in my 20s and maybe my 30s. I've just sort of like refined my perspective on everything and being an artist. But it does make me want to like seek out some like a production to put myself in because I don't feel like I've ever experienced fully what the the release of emotion through the language as Kim described. So maybe that's, you know, I was talking about my three-year plan. Maybe that's in my next three three years. Maybe I'll try to, you know, get cast in a Shakespeare play. I would love that for you, Claire. Uh, <laughs> I, would you? I would. I would I would go and I'd finally see Hamlet. I just am so inspired by how she is so connected to this artist that she just, that speaks for her. It's making me now, like when we get off, done, finish recording this right now, I'm going to like have a moment to just sit and be like, who has inspired me the same way that Kim Rhodes was inspired by Shakespeare? And I hope I can think of someone, but I don't think so. She is touched by him. There is a voice that he gave her, which is so cool. <laughs> I love what she said about like, we're an impulse and then we're a rhythm. Yeah. And that's something to ponder as we move past this episode and into... The, the Thursday one. abyss of our daily lives. Anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, I hope you enjoyed this as much as David and I clearly did. And we will see you guys next week. Adios. And before we go and before you go next week, looking ahead, we have Lilimar coming on. You know her from shows such as Spirit Riding Free, which I love, Bella and the Bulldogs, Night Squad. She is coming on Fanatics to talk about her love of K-pop. So we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Let's take a walk down the roads, specifically Kimberly Rhodes. She loves the bard so very much. Her mind, her heart is what is touched. Oh, Kimberly, 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 Kimberly Rhodes. You didn't even mention Shakespeare, David. Uh, uh.